Good evening, FCC. Welcome to our Tenebrae service. If, if some of you don't know what a Tenebrae service is, um, maybe you need a little bit of introduction, and I'd like to give you a little bit of introduction to what a Tenebrae service is. Uh, actually, um, before I came to this church as pastor, I had only ever been to one Tenebrae service myself. Uh, so I needed to be educated a bit in what it is before I took upon the tradition that this church has. A tenebrae, tenebrae is the, the Latin word for shadow. And so there's a little bit of, of this um, allusion to uh, the crucifixion at noon. Uh, God turns his face away from the sun uh, and darkness comes across the whole land. And there's a shadow over the whole earth while the sun is on the, um, on the cross. Uh, there's also this great feeling of darkness in the human heart um, because the creator and sustainer of all life has just died upon a cross. Uh, and so there are many, many uh, reasons why we would call this a shadow, why we would talk about darkness on a day like today. The theme that I have chosen uh, for this year's Tenebrae service is how great the pain of searing loss, and it's a, a line from one of the, the hymns that we sing. Uh, and it was a great loss, and we'll be talking about different kinds of loss. Loss of uh, support from friends, loss of justice, loss of dignity, loss of relationship with God the Father, loss of life. All of those things um, is what we'll be talking about a little bit tonight. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the why of the crucifixion first. Maybe some of you don't know. Um, God created the world perfect, but sin has entered the, into the world, evil, pain. And God is a God of justice. God desires to judge all sin. God desires to punish it. Um, and as upset as you may be about how evil things are in the world, just think of how upset a holy God is when he sees all of the wickedness, corruption, violence in the world. And he has said in the Bible, there is no forgiveness without, or there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And so in the Old Testament, and I think most people are, are somewhat familiar with the idea of an animal sacrifice. So we bring an animal and we, uh, we kill it, we pour out its blood, and then we put it upon the altar and we burn it, and we burn it. And God has poured out all of his wrath on that animal and it becomes the substitute for us. And so this substitute sacrifice system that he, uh, that he set up is the way for us to deal with evil or is the way for him to deal with evil and sin in the world. Uh, the fact that there's no justice in the world is why God set up his heavenly uh, divine justice system so that sin can be forgiven. And so if, if a person looks at themselves and says, oh no, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize there's lots of evil in my heart. What am I to do? How am I to make myself right before God? Because I know a judgment is coming. I know that when I die, I will stand before God. How in the world will I ever be able to face him knowing all of the evil things that I have done? And so uh, God's way, God's way of, of saving you is through the substitute sacrifice and then you trusting in that substitute sacrifice. A lot of people will try to trust in their own good works and God is unimpressed with our good works. That's the bad news. 
Uh, a lot of people uh, will try to um, sacrifice themselves, hurt themselves, punish themselves, but I'm sorry, without the shedding of blood, without the loss of life, uh, there is no forgiving, forgiveness of sin. Uh, what's more, we are not a good enough sacrifice. In the Old Testament, God talks about how there must be a perfect, spotless, um, sinless, completely innocent sacrifice, an offering with no blemish, and that's not us. We have many blemishes, spots on our, on our body. Even our bodies are not perfect, but also our character is not perfect. So a sinner cannot save himself. A person cannot save themselves in front of God. Another sacrifice is required. A perfect sacrifice is required. And in the Old Testament, um, this is sheep and bulls and goats and, and uh, pigeons even. Um, but the fact is the New Testament uh, sort of tells us those really just pointed towards something else. How in the world could a sheep or a goat atone for the sins of a human? And so we needed a perfect, sinless sacrifice uh, to come for us. And the glorious thing about God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, before creation, before the foundations of the world were, uh, were laid, they knew exactly what was going to happen. They knew exactly how people were going to turn out. They knew exactly what would have to be required in order to reconcile heaven and earth together. And they came up with a plan. The Father would send the Son to be the sacrifice, and the Son agreed to it. The Father's love for His creation moved Him to send the Son, and the Son said, you know what, Father, I understand your love, and I will be that sacrifice. I will go through everything that I'm going to be talking about here tonight because you love these people, because I love you, because I love them. I am willing to go. Jesus was not a victim. Don't let anybody ever preach that Jesus was a victim uh, Jesus laid down his life. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay my life down. Um, and for that, we are thankful. For that, we worship him. For that, we praise his glorious name. Let me, let me talk, talk one moment about our condemnation, the level of our condemnation. Our condemnation can be summed up with John 3, 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. But our hope is John 1, 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And John 1, 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And resting in Christ's sacrifice, believing in him, trusting in him, and saying, my works will not do it. My righteousness will not do it. My self-punishment will not do it. I can only trust in Christ's sacrifice. That gives us the right to become children of God again because Jesus, the light of the world, has come. And so I will, I will light the tenebrae candles.
normally during our Tenebrae service, we would have singing. We would have somebody on piano playing some old hymns uh, that talk about the cross. Um, and since we can't gather, I'm going to sing maybe sometimes, maybe a couple of these songs that we had planned. Um, and they were the song, the playlist that I put on the Facebook page this afternoon. Maybe I'll sing one line. I'm no singer. But to just get those songs in your mind. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. But I love that old cross where the dearest and best for the world of lost sinners was slain. And I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown the light has come into the world, and even the darkness cannot overcome it. The first great loss that I want to talk about tonight uh, was the loss of support that Jesus felt. He had disciples. He had people rallied around him during his life, during his ministry. But on the night of his arrest, he was abandoned, and he felt alone. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of, people, of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then... All the disciples deserted him and fled. Complete loss of support. And Jesus would face the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, all alone. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? The second message 
is about the loss of justice. You see, the, uh, the Jewish people were a people of justice when God set up the Ten Commandments. Commandment number nine is, you shall not bear false witness. And we almost always just take that as to say, you shall not lie. Don't lie to people. But that's, uh, that's only a part of what it really means. God meant for the Jewish people to be a people of great and amazing justice, where honesty uh, ruled their justice system, where when they came to examine the actions of another person, they judged them fairly with honesty and without prejudice. But that's not what happened with Jesus. There was a great loss of justice, and the fact is it became a kangaroo court. They judged him in the dead of the night, and they found they looked for false witnesses. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. They spit in his face, struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? The next song, which I'm not going to sing, is called, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. If you know that song, hum it in your head while I blow out this candle. After Jesus was judged, they led him out to be crucified. And crucifixion was obviously a very bad way to die. And it added insult to injury. There was, there was the beating beforehand. There was the carrying of the cross. But along with all of it, there was a great mockery. Um, uh, the soldiers took Jesus into a stadium and made sport of him for a little while. And then they took him out when they crucified him. Crucifixion victims were always naked. You've seen, uh, you've seen pictures of Jesus um, crucified, and he always has some sort of a loincloth or something on. That's not the way it was. Everybody saw Jesus naked right up there. And remember that nakedness means more uh, to, to Jewish people, especially Jewish people at that time, than it did to the rest of us. Um, the, Greeks, uh, the Greeks, they celebrated nudity. Um, many of their statues were, were naked. But for Jewish people, remember, in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, 
what was the first thing they realized? They were naked. And nakedness in the Old Testament and the New Testament um, becomes synonymous with absolute shame, absolute loss of dignity. A person should never be seen in that state. Um, and yet here is Jesus completely displayed naked for the entire world to see, beaten, stripped, mocked. There's an incredible loss of dignity that goes on in a crucifixion. Let me read the scripture. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. What a great loss of dignity to be naked, to be in pain, to be writhing, to have people around you mocking you, and to see right in front of you that people are gambling for your clothes. The only thing, the only possessions that you had in the world, here they are being gambled for, and you're naked because, eh, you don't need them anymore. It's awful. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel. God is with us, beautiful Savior, living Word. The fourth message is the loss of relationship with the Father. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which is Aramaic, and it means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's a quotation from Psalm 22. What this signifies really is that here the strongest bond in heaven has been broken. The father turns his face away. The father and son, they've been so linked. Jesus said, I don't do anything that he doesn't tell me to do. I don't feel anything that he doesn't cause me to feel. Everything that I do is from him. He is the one who sent me. There's, uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And now that bond is broken. And Jesus, for the first time in his life, feels this ultimate rejection. Now, he's been rejected before. He's been rejected by people. He's been rejected by crowds of people. He knows what it means to be rejected. But the rejection that he can't handle is when God the Father turns his face away from him. And Jesus feels the whole wrath of God for every sin that was ever committed from the eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and, of good and evil, to the slaying of Abel, to the last sin that will ever be committed, all laid right there upon him. And he feels the condemnation of it. If you ever wondered what it would be like to stand before God and for him to send you um, to hell, Jesus is feeling those feelings right here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Many of us often feel forsaken by the Lord. But the fact is, 
none of us are, are forsaken by the Father. We only feel that um, because our minds have been um, tainted with sin. A veil has been put over our faces, and we just don't know. The fact is, um, God is with us, and we feel his presence with us more than we could ever know. But at the moment of condemnation, we would feel that emptiness, that forsakenness. Jesus feels it right here. He knows what the condemned feel. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. The fifth and final message is the loss of life. Jesus is the source of all life. If his life is gone, where can our hope ever even be? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. In their reaction, I, I guess there is a kind of repentance. These soldiers had seen many people crucified. They had done the crucifying themselves many times before. And eh, maybe they were all just about the same until this one. This one was different. On any other time, the weather didn't change, the earth didn't change, nothing happened. But when this man died, the earth shook, rocks split open, strange things happened. Heaven and earth shook together, darkness over everything. And in it, I think, what you can see in the Luke passage is they beat their breasts and they said, oh my gosh, what have we done? This isn't just like killing an innocent person. We know what he claimed. And now I'm starting to think his claims were real. And there's this verse, verse 52. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. I, if there's any verse that I want an explanation on later, it's that one. How in the world? What does that mean? Who were they? Who were these holy people? Are we talking about King David? Are we talking about King Josiah? Who are we talking about here? Who are these holy people? Are they just priests and rabbis that 
from that time? But they came out and they were the testimony. <laughs> Amazing. Crucified, laid behind a stone. You live to die, rejected and alone, like a rose trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of me above all. that is how the Lord died for us. There's one last passage that I want to read here by the candlelight. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb, a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where the body of Jesus was laid. At the end of the tenebrae service, in some traditions, they end it with a very loud clap. And that loud clap is supposed to be sort of the, it is finished. And by this point, it is finished. Jesus' last words, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Mission completed. It is finished. Uh, the sound of the crucifixion, the sound of the death of Christ, the sound of the stone being rolled into place. In other traditions, they end by ringing the church bell. That's what I'm going to do. Our church doesn't have a bell, but here we go. I'm going to blow out the last candle, and then I'm going to read, ring the church bell, and then I'm going to turn off the video. And I would encourage you to spend some time thanking God for the great sacrifice that he made. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that before the foundation of the world, you had a plan in place. Thank you, Jesus, for not wavering from the plan and for carrying out the mission of God until it was finished. In your name we pray, amen.